Hi, it's Rod Rorick from Dallas, Texas. Welcome back to Rorick Knows Podcast. And we're going to talk today about eyelids with one of the eyelid experts in the world, Dr. Steve Fagan. Steve, welcome. How are you? I'm great, Rod. Great to see you, always. Great. Likewise. So we're going to talk about eyelid surgery and, and really eyelid rejuvenation. I mean, you don't always need surgery, right, for eyelids? Tell us about that. I mean, in fact, you're an expert in, in all aspects of both eyelid surgery, but also the non-invasive ways to do it. So to tell us about, like, when you see a 20-year-old and she said, I just don't like my eyes. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you tell them? You know, it depends uh, what they present with, what they don't like, and what they're willing to accept as a treatment and, and the recovery. Um, in my opinion, I think usually surgery is the longest lasting uh, option, but not always. Right. So in a young patient with a little bit of a hollow or bag in the lower lid, certainly those patients would do reasonably well with very conservative amounts of, of filler to the lower lid. And, and done well with appropriate amounts, I think they can get a good result. Now, the, the, the misconception is that it works well for everybody, and it doesn't. Right. Young patients, you can, you know, the patients that need the least always do the best. <laughs> so, you know, when you have a 25-year-old with a little bit of a hollow, you put a tenth or two-tenths of a cc of, of a good HA filler, hyaluronic acid, they'll do fine. Right. The problem I see, and I've seen now over many years, is you can get a spectacular result, and then you see these patients a year or two later, and you would have expected that the filler was gone by then. It's not. And it's not. It's not. And, and these fillers can last a long time, especially when placed deep, where is the most appropriate place. But the body sometimes just says, it's okay. We're not going to mess with it. It's not bothering us. We won't bother it. And when the fillers start breaking down and these all these hyaluronic acid fillers absorb water, you can start seeing swelling even late. So I'll see a patient who comes in for their eyes and, and I'll say, you had fillers at some point? They I go, said, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was about three years ago I had right. fillers to my lower lid. And the problem is that's not always the rule. But it happens. Right. So the fact that it can happen can cause problems for patients. And I find that's why sometimes surgery is a better option because it's unlikely done well to give patients a long-term problem. Right. And notice when Dr. Fagan said, if you use a filler at 0.1 or 0.2, that is a small amount. And honestly, the reason you're saying that, even in the those great non-hydrophilic fillers, they last a long time. And we're seeing that now. And so... I think it scares me because you and I don't do a lot of tear trough fillers anymore. And also now they're actually getting some indications and FDA approval for it. So that even worries me more because, you know, we see a lot of these. You, you know, we're going to see a lot more now because then, then they go to the spa world. So no, before yeah. you go, I, I really think the indications for fillers in tear troughs are very narrow. Younger patients, small amounts of tear troughs. I mean... Beyond that, I, I'm not a big filler advocate, and neither are you. I'm not. I, and only, you know, I have a biased practice, and I see for cosmetic only eyelids other than injectables. And we see sometimes two or three patients a day that have some not very serious, but swelling, and they want to come in. They think that's the bag <laughs> that they call, and they go, can you remove these bags down here on the cheek? Oh. And that's not the eyelid anymore. 
And so they get water retention and some patients are just prone. They're morphologically prone to get it. So I don't like problems that can occur later on that, that we can't control. So I think I agree with you in, in so many ways. Small amounts in the right patients uh, can do very well. Uh, but I think if somebody wants a long-term result, oftentimes they have to go to surgery. And sometimes this is, the surgery is a very conservative surgery. But it gets the job done and doesn't give them a long-term problem. Right. It look good. And, 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 you know, you touched on something, the mailer begs. I mean, you're right. People think that this is, you know, a problem from their eyelid. And it's not. These are mailer bags. And and these are challenges. So, Steve, what do you tell your patients? I, I recently had a patient that was like three years out from her facelift. And she said, my, my eyelid bags are back. And she sent me a photo. I think she was on vacation. And I said, those aren't, you know your eyelid bags <laughs> these are tear troughs these are tear troughs so tell, tell us how you handle that mailer bags as you know as well as anyone are very difficult to treat so you can get do an extended blepharoplasty and get very aggressive well, and yet through all that surgery the patients typically see what's left and usually the malar bag, even if you reduce it 50%, that's all they see is that 50%. And so I tell people if they want complete resolution, there's no great fix for that. People have tried injecting it with, with caustic agents like tetracycline with variable results. And I've never seen a great result with, with injection of tetracycline. Um, direct excision, unfortunately, is usually the most effective, but it leaves a scar, meaning you actually excise that right. little sausage shaped area and you can get that swelling area to go away amazing but it leaves a scar yeah leaves a scar but it is it is and actually i you know you and i've discussed this many times and it is a it's an amazing uh sh treatment for it that is probably the best treatment but it does give you a scar but it is also amazing how well that scar heals i i must yeah. say and i do it in more in males and females it's unbelievable but they have to accept that and uh, because there's no other treatment i mean there are other things like radio frequency microneedling morpheus sometimes helps a little bit but the other thing i sometimes have seen now in patients that have had a lot of fillers it plugs up those lymphatics and it can cause mailer bags that's a different problem. That's absolutely correct. So interestingly, if it's a lymphatic obstruction, as I believe, as you do, that it can be in some patients, sometimes dissolving the filler will regain lymphatic flow. Right. The problem in many is that it's like everything in life. It's never one thing. They get some lymphatic obstruction. They have residual filler there. It migrates distant from the area of injection because they're sponges and they attract water. It attracts water into a into that potential space, that zygomatic space. So uh, it's never one thing. And I think everything helps a little bit. These patients want it gone. And right. It's sometimes very difficult to do. So the best way to treat it is to try to avoid getting it. Right, exactly. So let's shift to surgery. So I see, you know, just like you, I see a lot of patients that have had eyelid surgery. And, and eyelid surgery to me is almost like rhinoplasty. Man, if you don't get it right the first time, it becomes a big problem. And it's not always a problem that can be fixed. I'm just like rhinoplasty. So, so what do you see? I mean, you see a lot of redos. And I send you some of these patients that just have had a lot of other, you know, surgery after surgery. And and it's almost like rhinoplasty. I mean, sometimes you got to say, you know, you've had enough. 
you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes that is exactly what I have to tell patients where I, if I don't believe I can make a significant improvement where right. they're going to be happy, you know, we both spend a lot of time with our patients and, and, and speak with them about what their expectations are. Right. And if expectations are far greater than any surgical procedure can deliver, I tell them they need to think twice and three times about it. Uh, but the, the, the problem we see is aggressive surgery without fully understanding the anatomy of the eyelid. What happens is when you, you want to really make lower eyelids look great and tighten the skin and tighten the muscle, you're, you're in a 60-year-old patient, a 50-year-old patient, and you're going to tighten their lower lid to make them a 35, 40-year-old patient. Their tendons no longer have the support of a 30 to 40-year-old patient. Right. So if you don't, it, it's, it's like building 101, construction 101. You've got to create the support to allow you to do procedures that make them happy with tightening so that it doesn't change the shape of the eye. That's, that's what happens. They wind up getting lid retraction or pull down lids and right. rounding of the eyes, which is unavoidable if you don't fully support the lower eyelid. So I wrote the article on retinacular suspension many years ago because it was a simple way to support the eyelid through the existing incisions without additional incisions and cutting and shortening the eyelid. And at first it was met with, with you know, people weren't like, how does that even work? I don't understand oh, how a, a suture canthopexy can work. And the whole idea is to stabilize the eyelid. And we've both been at meetings where, you know, you, there's a big debate about cantoplasty and cantoplasty is different things to different surgeons. Of course. And retinacular suspension, and I know you do it as well yeah. in your blepharoplasties, is, is a cantal support to maintain the shape. Most people like the shape of their eyes. Right. They don't want you changing it. So if you can support it to maintain shape and then accomplish all the other things, eyelid surgery just like with rhinoplasty, especially lower eyelid, some of the more difficult ones because there's so many moving parts and so many ways it can go wrong. And the aging process in the eyes is complicated. You have skin laxity, muscle laxity, tendon laxity, herniation of fat, all these things that need to be addressed, in my opinion, separately. You'd need to treat each problem individually. You can't just in block take things away and think that's a surgical blepharoplasty. You need to try to get things back to the way they were. And I know that's what you do with your rhinoplasty as well. It's restoration blepharoplasty. Right. That's it's well said. And yeah, and you're right. And less is more. I mean, especially in the lower eyelid. The lower eyelid, I think, is is as unforgiving as a nose. Because, you know, less is more, and I know you want to take a little more skin. I know you want to take more fat. But it's really not something that... It, it doesn't tolerate those those little, you know, a millimeter mistake or too much because you'll, you'll pay the price for a long time. And uh, I think... Nothing lasts longer than a complication. <laughs> that's true. We've all been there. But yeah. uh, so, so in, you know, what are the take-home points for somebody that's looking to get their eyelids done? I mean, what do they need to know and who do they need to see you know, so they can get a good opinion, but also finding the right surgeon for them, you know, and especially, you know, in patients that, you know, they have dry eyes. Everybody has dry eyes right after age 50. They do. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And interestingly, that's the age when they're having surgery. So, you know, the 35-year-old patient doesn't have dry eyes after surgery. Right. The 60-year-old patient can. Right. So 
and tear duct and tear strip and Shermer's tests and, and ways to check dry eyes are reasonably worthless because <laughs> if you do great surgery on someone who has dry eyes, you're probably not going to worsen their dry eyes. Exactly. If you do terrible surgery on someone who doesn't have dry eyes, you can give them dry eyes. So the results of those tests doesn't tell you if a patient's going to have problems with dryness. What will hopefully ensure that they won't have any worsening of the dry eye symptoms is good sound surgery right. and to protect them. So you have to protect them in every way. And, and again, part of it is maintaining lid shape because when the lids pull down, the patients get more dry and they have more exposure and they need to use more lubricant. So the take home message for patients, in my opinion, is not go by their title. You know, I, 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 I've trained in oculoplastic surgery. So I am not of the school to say that you need to go to an oculoplastic surgeon to have a blepharoplasty. Right. I'm just plastic surgeons, obviously yourself included, who I would have my eyes done by because I know you would do the right thing. You need to go to someone obviously who's board certified, but has a reputation of doing good eyes, like right. you would go to somebody who know who has a reputation of doing great noses. You need to do some research. People right. spend more time picking the color of their car than they do finding a surgeon sometimes. Right. And you need to do your research. And you see patients that you like their results or you can't even tell they had surgery and they say, oh, by the way, I had my eyes done. And you love the result. That's a start. That's and you start. go by reputation. Somebody is board certified, whether they're a plastic surgeon or an oculoplastic surgeon, in my opinion, makes no difference. I if agree. they're good at what they do, they're good at what they do. Their title and where they trained is is secondary. I agree. And, you know, you've got to have the passion, the expertise, and the passion. You know, you hear that, you see the, you see and hear the passion out of Dr. Fagan. You know, you've got to find somebody that's got that passion, that expertise, loves what they do. And, you know, there's nobody's God, but, you know, you're going to greatly enhance your chance of having a, a, an excellent result. And I think that's wise words. And so, yeah, I, I think that's superb. And, and I, I respect, I tell you, I've learned so much from Dr. Fagan. I mean, I, I do so many things that you do because, you know, less is more, don't do crazy stuff, and, you know, preserve the eyelid because, you know, you only got one set of eyes, and, you know, you, yeah. you don't want to screw them up. And, you know, when you look at somebody, you look at their eyes first. Yeah, <clears throat> eye contact and, and <clears throat> eyesight is precious, yeah, obviously, for everyone. Right. And. You know, they can handle some problems with other areas of the body that may be fixable, maybe not. Right. But eye problems, they can be long lasting. Right. And and patients are fearful of that. And and they they're mindful and do your research. Find a surgeon, a plastic surgeon, oculoplastic surgeon, even a facial plastic surgeon in your in your town. Right. Or even if you have to travel to seek somebody who you believe is gonna do the best for you. Right. And it, it and it's it's a personal choice, and I get it. And people sometimes ask me, well, why should I go to you? And I'm not trying to convince anybody to come to me. I said, you know, find somebody who you believe in, and you've seen their work, and you trust them. Right, exactly. And that's going to be there for you, good and bad. I mean, that's the whole thing. You know, that's the sign of a good doctor, as a good surgeon. So wise words from a wise and talented Plastic surgeon, oculoplastic surgeon, Dr. Steve Fagan. Great to have you with us as usual. And uh, 
make sure you DM me or if you have any questions, call, uh, email me or DM us on our YouTube channel and uh, stay tuned for helping you become a better you. Steve, thank you very much and Thanks enjoy so much. the weekend. Good Be back. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.